Thanks for listening to the Benefits Breakdown. Stay tuned until the end of our next episode titled The Continuing Evolution of Total Rewards to receive a code for Sherm Credit. Enjoy the episode. Well, hello, hello, hello. This is Vanessa Longnecker. Excited to greet you for our next episode of the Benefits Breakdown here with my partners in crime, Jared. Jared, take it away. Say hello. Hey, good afternoon, everybody. It's Jared Volkett from Dallas with you. And then also we have a new teammate with us, Adam Compton. Go ahead and introduce yourself, Adam. Hey, everyone. Excited to join. My name is Adam Compton out from the uh, Los Angeles office and excited to get into all things Medicare today. Awesome. We are here with a very special guest, Gina Schreiber, who joins us as the lead of our Medicare Eligibility Division of Brown & Brown's Absent Services Group. Gina, thank you for being here with us today to help us navigate this crazy world of all things Medicare. We hear lots of myths or misconceptions. Maybe you can kickstart with a little baseline for all of us. Yeah, thanks, Vanessa. Happy to be here. Um, glad to be uh, on the on the episode today to talk about Medicare. Like you said, we have a lot of um, different information, and uh, as a whole, federal benefit programs can be difficult to navigate. So when you're talking about different moving parts, and, and especially from this federal level program, um, it does make sense to take some time and talk through all the different components. So happy to do that with you guys today. So I guess we can start off with just a little bit about Medicare and the different parts and how it works, and um, you guys can jump in and ask questions along the way. If that makes sense. Yes, that would be terrific. Medicare, by the way, is something that I, I always laugh because people find out I work in insurance. My parents, namely, they say, oh, you're insurance. You can help us with our Medicare. <laughs> and I'm like, mom, yeah. that is a foreign language. <laughs> I don't know that language. And I'm sorry you need to go to an expert. So yes, Gina, we're very excited to have you kind of lay that baseline for us. Yeah, that's great. Um, so yeah, we'll jump right into it. So Medicare comes in a, in a few different parts you probably have heard of before. So part A we'll start with is... Um, hospital insurance. So really covers inpatient hospital care. Um, It's premium free for most beneficiaries. And there are deductibles and co-insurance that go along with that. So it really covers just sort of basic care. And there are out-of-pocket costs for individuals, even if they have this Medicare coverage. Part B is medical insurance. So more outpatient services rather than inpatient hospital stays. Um, And that does have a deductible and co-insurance as well. It's typically about 20% co-insurance. And there's no limit. So parts A and B kind of comprise original Medicare, um, and they do provide basic coverage, but there are no limits on client expenses. So if you have something really significant happen from a health standpoint, you could have significant out-of-pocket costs associated with that. So that's where some of the supplemental options come into play. So they have a Medicare supplement, oftentimes called Medigap um, coverage, which is offered through private insurers and is actually designed to work with original Medicare and can cover your out-of-pocket costs um, associated with parts A and B. So whatever is on the individual's plate to cover, um, this Medigap coverage can help offset those costs. And then part D is prescription drugs. And again, that's offered through private insurers and works to supplement the out-of-pocket costs associated with prescription drugs. Part C, to make it even more complicated, um, called Medicare Advantage plans. And those actually replace all the other pieces. So rather than having A and B and Medigap and Part D, you can have just a Part C Medicare Advantage plan, which covers the whole gamut of what um, you might incur for medical expenses. And so we actually find a lot of our clients are drawn to that because it's a lot simpler to understand. um, And there's actually really, really good coverage 
um, available and there's um, pretty competitive costs as well. So we actually see a lot of our clients kind of drawn to that Medicare Advantage space. That's also offered through private insurers um, and really, like I said, replaces that original Medicare in those first few levels. Interesting. I Again, very complex, very dynamic. We as consultants in the uh, group medical and benefits space hear a lot of you know concerns around who plays primary. How does this work? How do we help employees navigate this space? Tell us a little bit more about what your team in fact does with that baseline in play. Yeah, that's a that's another great piece and, and can be really complicated for employers to understand this primary and secondary payer guidelines and sort of navigating those pieces. So at a really high level, there's three ways that people can become eligible for Medicare. And actually, this Medicare secondary payer guidelines work a little bit differently for each of those ways. So the first way and the most common way is when people become eligible by aging in um, or Medicare calls that working aged eligibility. So people turning 65 and, and become eligible. So for that, really sort of the rule of thumb is that employers group health coverage, group health plans would be primary payer um, for any groups that are larger than 20 employees. And even that is a little nuanced of how do you calculate the number of employees and what kinds of group health plans are in that. But as a general rule of thumb, larger employers over 20 employees, if they have a group health plan, that typically pays as primary and Medicare is, is secondary. The second way that people become eligible is through um, Social Security disability. So if somebody is disabled and um, applies for and is approved for Social Security disability, 24 months after that, they become eligible for Medicare. And so for that piece, for disabled individuals, um, still sort of the same thing about the number of lives, but that number of lives switches to 100. So if your group is 100 lives or more, then um, your group health plan is primary payer and otherwise Medicare is um, primary. And then the third way is a is sort of a type of uh, disabled coverage, um, end-stage renal disease, uh, which is really um, a really significant cost condition. And so in those situations, the group health plan is primary for the first 30 months, and then afterwards, Medicare Medicare takes over as primary. So again, just as an example of the complexity of federal benefit programs, that's a good, that's a good kind of illustration of that. Um, so I always advise people to check their very specific guidelines. CMS, um, the Center for Medicare and Medicaid Services, actually has some pretty, pretty helpful tips out on their website that I always use as a reference. So that's a good place to start. Um, and then also you can reach out. There's experts out there that can help you navigate some of those case-by-case uh, -case scenarios. But I think it's important to know, I always say that an employer has kind of three responsibilities as it relates to Medicare secondary payer guidelines. One is to know case-by-case -case when they're primary payer. Two is if they are primary payer, to pay those costs like timely so that the, um, the downstream uh, you know, employee isn't, isn't burdened or there isn't some sort of discrepancy of who's doing what. And then third, you know, they really have to kind of structure and administer their group health plans as if Medicare doesn't exist. So they're really kind of saying, I'm not changing my benefit amounts. I'm not charging somebody more. If somebody's eligible for my benefits, they're going to have the same access to them, um, whether they're eligible for Medicare or not. So that's sort of the restriction on an employer. But what they can do as an employer is provide employees with access to education um, and expert resources, because otherwise the only the only education or information they're getting is about their group health plan, which may not be the most advantageous plan for them. It's only one option and it's probably the most easily accessible option because it's given to them at their employer, but it doesn't necessarily mean it's the best one. 
um, either from a coverage standpoint or a cost standpoint. So we all know that our <laughs> we are inundated. It's almost like save the trees, right? There are so many <laughs> communications that yeah. go out and flock to those as they approach 65 that it almost becomes overbearing and overwhelming. So you suggest that employers can, in fact, uh, supply some expert resources to them. Let's talk more about that. Yeah, I, I would say not only can, but really should, because you're right, even as um, you know, benefits professionals, we're sort of inundated with all the, the kind of advertising that's coming at you. Um, and, and Medicare um, advertising in particular, you, know, you see retired football players out uh, trying to um, advertise for Medicare plans. And, and I think some ways that raises some concerns about are these really valid plans out there? I know, I know and trust my employer and the plan they're offering because I've been covered under for years. I don't know any of these other carriers that are offering Medicare plans. Um, and I, you know, really like Joe Namath, but I'm not sure that he's an expert in <laughs> advising me on my health coverage options. So um, we do see that a lot. And and really, again, once we do talk to clients, we're able to show them a bunch of different options of what works best for them based on their own financial needs, their own medical needs, um, what prescriptions they have, where they live. Medicare, even though it's a federal program, can actually be different from one county to the next based on your zip code. So you really have to do the work on a case-by-case basis to say, well, what makes sense for you? Do you have a dependent that you need to cover or not? Because Medicare is only an individual coverage option. So that's one thing that we start with. And then we go through sort of their physicians and providers, like, do you have specialists that you want to see? Are they going to be accepting of a Medicare, you know, coverage option or not? What kind of prescriptions are you on? And we'll do a customized consultation. But really, you have to kind of go through all of that to really understand the options that are out there. So Gina, I'm I'm not, but let's pretend, right? I'm I'm approaching 65 and my birthday's in a month or two. Happy birthday, Jared. <laughs> I'm trying to decide. Luckily, I have a few more years before I have to make this decision. But uh, I'm trying to decide what I should do. What are my options? What is the best way that somebody that's approaching that or what what would be the best way for them to approach that and make the best decision? And what are their options? I mean, can they elect Medicare as primary and waive coverage on their employer's plan? Can they um, stay active? And we, we already talked about that. Their employer can be active, but can they waive that employee plan and stay on Medicare as primary? Mm-hmm. What are their options and yeah. what is the best way to do that? And how can they make the best decision for them? Yeah. Um, Yeah, that's a great question, Jared. Um, Thanks. So we always advise people to start looking um, a few months before they're becoming eligible. So in the instance of somebody becoming eligible by aging in or turning 65, the enrollment window is actually kind of a seven-month span of time. It's the month they turn 65, three months before that, and three months after that. So that's their official enrollment window through Medicare. So we usually suggest starting three or four months before their 65th birthday is starting to do some of their own research of what makes sense for them. Um, And so there's a lot of places they can go. Like I said, CMS um, online has some information, but we really advise that they reach out to an expert that can help navigate some of the choices. So our team, for example, when we do our custom consultations, we can actually go out to multiple carriers that we work with. So remember I said earlier, parts A and B are offered through the government. Um, but these other plans are offered through private insurers. And so if you're going to do some sort of mix and matching, either with the Medigap plan that goes with A and B or with the Advantage plans that sort of replace A and B, you have to get external quotes from these outside carriers that are providing that coverage. So you can go to Humana and Aetna and Cigna yourself and try to get those quotes, but that's a lot of heavy lifting. And so that's the benefit that our team can provide too, is that we can say, 
well, you just tell us what you need and we'll go to all these different sources and we'll serve up to you what the best options are and help you kind of navigate through some of those choices. So I say that's the most uh, streamlined version. Um, and it really does depend on kind of how how willing people are to do the research. Again, that, that group health plan is staring them right in the face as they're approaching their enrollment period. And so oftentimes that's sort of the default option unless they're provided these avenues to find out the other information on their own. And so that's what our job is, is to help employers present this information in an easy to consume way for all their employees. I love that question, Jared. And Gina, I love the response. And I think we, we get into a lot of the nuances, even in open enrollment meetings, where maybe I have somebody approaching 65, but my spouse is still 60. Um, and some of those nuances create confusion and it sounds like the kind of the resources provided by by you really help answer that. But any kind of tricks or trades when you come to some of those unique situations and how to kind of guide people when, hey, I might be eligible today, but my wife or spouse might be a few years behind me? Yeah, that's a really good question. Um, and we do hear that a lot. And um, I'd say it really depends on what that spouse is doing. Are they working? Do they have access to their own group health plans in another place? Um, you know, I think that happens a lot, even in my own family. We just sort of went through that, that this uh, enrollment period of like, okay, should, we were on the same plan with one, with one of us. And then we kind of split up this time just based on doing the work of like what made most sense. Um, so I do think every family has to decide what's best for that. And that's um, another piece of the benefits of the private consultation, because most times we do have sort of a husband and a wife that'll sit together. Even if we're only looking at one of their coverage options, we'll have them kind of sit together and walk through their questions, you know, in a, in a joint in a joint manner to make sure that collectively they're looking at all the options that are available to them. I think there's also a perception sometimes like the company sponsored healthcare is my best benefit or my richest benefit. And then, oh, I've got to go to Medicare. I'm going to be losing something. And I guess we're seeing that's not always the case. It seems like there can actually be even enhanced benefits or even lower cost to the members. Is that what you're seeing on your side? Yeah, absolutely. Um, especially these days, those Medicare Advantage plans are really, really cost effective. And so most times that we're looking at it down to that level of detail, we are able to find coverage that is as comprehensive as an employer-based group health plan and oftentimes for similar or lower costs. I think it really is a surprise to most people. That's one of the one of the big myths that we have. One, I'd say number one myth is when people hear Medicare, their mind kind of goes to Medicaid right away, which is, you know, not even close. Medicaid is a health coverage for like low income. You have to have almost no savings left for Medicaid to kick in. It's offered through the states. But there is still this sort of um, just because the names are so similar that people just have this sort of inherent distrust of Medicare benefits. So that's, I think a lot of people are surprised when we're able to show them sort of this is what you'd get under one option and here's what you'd get under the second option and do the cost comparison. People are usually very surprised by that. And we actually have, once we talk to somebody, we actually have about 70% of the people that talk to an agent enroll in Medicare supplement plans. So that's a good proof point too to say, you know, once they see the options are available to them, most are actually moving forward in that direction. One of the interesting things to me is we do have obviously an aging workforce in the United States today, and we all know with age comes cost. We've done an analysis in, in, in our Texas location here with Hayes, uh, with our clients and, and their populations, and we saw that the average cost of a 65-plus-year-old was more than twice that of a regular average employee. So within that analysis, we saw that the average 65-year-old cost them about 20500 where the rest of their population in our book of business was right around 
$9,500 to $10,000 in that variance there. So obviously with employers, particularly self-funded employers, there is some real advantages for them to have individuals who are Medicare eligible evaluate their options and make the best decision for them, potentially transitioning to Medicare. And we've seen employers implement services like yours, Gina, that have been able to save thousands, even hundreds of thousands of dollars off their plan spend by having some of their members transition to Medicare. So there's a real advantage for employers to offer this education services. And I'm sure you see that all the time where there's, there's that advantage that employers can gain by educating their employees on these options. Yeah. Yeah. This really is a space where this is a true definition of a win-win because the employees are getting a really good plan at a really good cost for them from a premium standpoint. And the employer is realizing significant savings a lot of times um, on really giving a different option to um, to that segment of, of employees. So yeah, we're definitely um, seeing that across the board. You know, I would uh, piggyback that, Jared, actually, not just uh, the win-win from a, a group health plan or risk pool uh, management, but unilaterally, teammates are faced with more stress than ever before, right? We're coming out of very challenging times, lots of stuff being thrown at them. We also have, you know, not just the aging of the workforce, but we have the sandwich generation, right, that are really trying mm-hmm. to be advocates for their own family and help them navigate. Yeah. And so we're actually seeing this as a pretty valued perk overall. So as we're looking at other ways to expand or be creative in the benefit space, having an education platform and or expert service is quite powerful across, you know, many generations or scopes within the workforce today. So very fun indeed to learn more about what it is you're seeing, what it is you're doing, and how that may be an opportunity, right, for others to benefit from, learn from, and or engage within. Any other thoughts, Gina, based on today's conversation, you know, and and nuggets that you find helpful as we look to leave our audience with some really great intel today? Yeah, um, just one more piece I'd I, um, like to highlight is that the other piece that sort of goes along with that is, as we've covered today, there's a lot of questions about Medicare and, and typically um, at an employer, at an HR team isn't expert in Medicare solutions. And so you see a lot of times where employers aren't sure exactly what advice to give. They want to be helpful, but they don't want to give the wrong information. And some of these some of the nuances of the enrollment windows and what should I do and who should I call? You know, there are um, instances where late penalties might apply if somebody misses their enrollment window. And those late penalties, as they're calculated, stay on that person's premium for the rest of their coverage period. So you'd hate to have an instance where you just didn't know and you didn't tell an employee what they should be looking at. And then next thing, you know, that employee is kind of saddled with these increased premiums when they do move on to Medicare, which could be, you know, several years down the road. So I always say better safe than sorry. Um, and, you know, you wouldn't give advice to your employees about what they should do with taxes. So like, why would you give advice to your employees about what they should do with like these really nuanced sort of healthcare options? So um, I always say find some resources. And again, it can be hard to find those resources. So like, who do you call when you have questions about Medicare? And that's really why my team and others like me exist out there, because we know that there's a lot of questions that that folks have. And so we just try to do our best to um, walk everybody through those guidelines and, and make sure everybody just has access to the right information at the right time. Gina, could I build off that? Because I think it's a protected industry, meaning an insurance agent just can't call somebody who's 70 or 65 and, and try to sell them, right? That's a protection for those individuals. So I think that might present challenges to some HR professionals of how do you build a 
successful engagement campaign, what can they do? Yeah. So what have you seen successful companies do to really engage those people, either telephonically, email, meetings? What's worked really well? Yeah, that's a great question, Adam. Thanks for thanks for asking that. So yeah, there are um, there are some compliance guidelines out there about who can do what, right? So uh, I think they're set up in the right spirit of wanting to um, protect consumers, individual consumers, which is great because that's what all the employers want to do too: protect their employees as consumers and make sure they have the right information. So I think everybody's on the on the same side of that concern of wanting to do the right thing for these. Um, for these employees that are out there. So what you can't do, I think you mentioned, Adam, you can't, as an agent, you can't reach out and just cold call a bunch of people. As, you know, a group that works with employers, we can actually say, okay, if you want to speak to an agent, we can set you up with that appointment. And so we can kind of navigate that piece. So no one's doing cold calling. We're um, kind of operating as an extension of an employee benefit, which is just to provide you access to expert resources and education and enrollment support if you so choose. So once we kind of talk to an individual from that standpoint and just letting them know we're here and that their employer is providing access to our solution and if they you know are interested in that, then we can set them up with an agent that can walk them through those options. There's no charge for employees for that. Um, we don't charge for those consultations um, or even um, no employee charge if they place a policy with us those private insurers actually pay a commission. So that's that's sort of outside of the, the realm of what employees or employers really have to focus on. So um, it really truly is, as far as employees are concerned, um, meant to be um, giving them information that will put them in the best spot to make their own personal health care decisions. What if they break the rules? What if an HR individual gives some wrong information? Hmm. Does that lead to some risk or liability? And, and, and how might they protect themselves that way? Yeah, I mean, it definitely could. I, I feel like um, that would depend on the situation of exactly what was asked and exactly what was shared. It's like, hey, you're 65. We don't want you on the plan anymore. Yeah. It's time for you to move off to Medicare. No, Adam, you can't do that. That's that a big no-no. Okay. You definitely can't not do that. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Definitely not. Yeah. Okay. But we've seen it happen. And we, I think we can all nudge to that one HR contact that suggested how do we migrate that person yeah. off and yeah, it's, it's a big bonus. I would yeah. say it's more the CFOs. When CFOs <laughs> involved in the conversation, they're like, Jared, can't you call him and tell him to get off my plan? No. In the yeah. reality No, is, we can't do that. Yeah. I mean, much like us, yeah. we consider our, ourselves educators in the field. That's how employers truly, from what I'm hearing you say, Gina, need to look at themselves, right? We arm yeah. you with expert you know, advisories and services to wrap around and help support you as you navigate, you educate. Right. Yeah. So the good news is there's some really great resources out there. It is a growing demand. There certainly are many, many challenges. It's a difficult uh, concept to tackle for many, and uh, it is intimidating. So love to yeah. hear the great work that your team's up to in that regard. Yeah, we do actually have a built-in sort of protection for employers from a compliance standpoint in that our solution, um, as we're representing Medicare policies, we only are speaking towards the Medicare policies. We're not necessarily doing a side-by-side -side of saying, here's your employer plan and here's the Medicare plan and here's why this is better or worse and here's where you should be moving. We're not giving any sort of guidance to suggest they go to a Medicare plan versus their group health plan. We're giving them access to the, the information from 
a benefit and cost standpoint. And, you know, we can say you'd want to look at your out-of-pocket costs. You'd want to look at your maximums, your co-pays, like you would on any sort of healthcare decision, even between your own plan and a spouse's plan, for example. You'd be looking at all those things. So we're sort of highlighting areas where they want to compare and contrast but we're not representing the group health plan at all. So that actually builds in a little bit of uh, a protection of that. We're not actually advising people that they should do one versus the other. Once they see the options, a lot of them do select the Medicare plan, which is where the benefit comes in for the employee and the employer. Gina, what are you seeing as the best way to communicate a service like yours to the employees without becoming a sales pitch to them, right? I mean, Obviously, that is, you just mentioned that's the fine line we have to walk. So what is the best way to communicate this benefit to an employee? Yeah, I always um, advise employers that they should sort of take credit for this as part of their overall benefit program, that, you know, you're, you're giving them access to an expert resource. And who doesn't want access to an expert resource? If they choose not to utilize us or use a, you know, a, get a private consultation, then that's fine. Um, but the availability, making available that resource is an employee benefit. So I always suggest that employers actually say to all people, we have this new benefit. They're going to you know, reach out to you as you're becoming Medicare eligible and just give you access to the, to the data to make, it, to make your own choice. Um, and that also comes with the availability for, as Vanessa mentioned earlier, sometimes if they have parents or you know, uh, uncles or aunts or sisters or brothers who are becoming eligible, then we get a lot of referrals that way too. So it really does kind of fall into a holistic benefit that you can offer. Um, and that makes it a lot um, easier when we call too, that they know who we are. They know why we're calling. We can ask them, you know, give them some high level information about how parts A, B, C, and D work. Um, and a little bit about the Medicare piece. We can talk to them a little bit about enrollment um, windows and what their own kind of personal needs are. And then if they want to move forward and speak to an agent, we can set that up for them. Just a follow-up to that. Um, we've had some clients do this. Do you ever do pre-recorded education webinars or things like that that can be sent out to the employers, employees? Sorry. Yep. Yes, we definitely do that. We um, can set up, you know, private ones, which is just for the employers, or we can do kind of a recorded one, which is more generic in, in nature um, and, and send those out. But yes, we hear that a lot, actually. And when we implement our service, our kind of employer facing service, we do find a lot of times they want to kick that off with opening up a webinar to all employees as well, just sort of catch everybody up from who, where everybody was to start with. Um, and then kind of going forward, we'll reach out as people become Medicare eligible. But we usually do find kicking it off with some webinars to provide that overall education have been helpful. Gina, can I just touch on real quick what that, that first call, that first kind of intake connecting with your team, is that is that five minutes? Is it an hour? What does that usually look like? So people are ready for that first connection. Yeah, the first connection is probably about 15 minutes. Um, and actually, it sort of depends on how much research somebody's done ahead of time. So if somebody hasn't done anything about looking at Medicare, then it's a little bit more of like, well, here's how part A works. Here's how part B works. And um, here's how you kind of navigate those pieces. But a lot of times, if somebody's turning 65, they've already started poking around on that. So it depends really on, on kind of how well-versed they are before we make that phone call. Um, but on average, I'd say it's about 15 minutes. And then the private consultations are usually 45 to 60 minutes. And again, that just depends on how many providers they have, specialists or prescriptions or, or kind of how detailed the, the medical background piece is. Um, but typically 45 to 60 minutes to go through everything. And then ongoing throughout the year, are there other levels of engagement where if I have a question, um, I'm calling or reaching out to somebody or that education continues in some way? 
Yep, absolutely. You know, we um, we like to call ourselves somebody's agent for life when it gets to that point. And when they're moving on to a Medicare plan, we want to be a resource for them as they as they go. And so, um, definitely, if they have questions, they can call the agent that they worked with originally or anybody on the team. Um, and then every year for open enrollment, we do send out some information too to say, has anything changed? Because that's a good opportunity to say, well, whatever needs I had before when we placed this plan are somehow different. I have a different specialist or I have, you know, a different kind of financial situation that I have to kind of navigate through. So we're reaching out at that uh, annual open enrollment period as well, just to check in and make sure the plan they have is still the plan that works for them. Awesome. Well, we really, really, really appreciate you joining us today, Gina. Clearly, this is a perk, right, that can be positioned for employers or plan sponsors that really meets the needs across the entire spectrum of that teammate base, right? So the young, the, you know, experienced and and those that are supporting family members alike. So this is insightful as we look to help others navigate this dynamic space. We appreciate your time. We look forward to our next episode and we welcome you to join us in short order again. Thanks all. Thanks everybody. We'll see y'all later. Take care. Thank you.